Welcome to the Power Hour. I'm Adrienne Herbert, wellness coach, international speaker and author. Each week I speak to a variety of guests from business founders to Olympic athletes, leading coaches, change makers and innovators to find out their daily habits, their rules to live by and what motivates them to get up out of bed each day. Personally, I am on a mission to encourage, motivate and inspire. So I hope that the Power Hour will help you to achieve your personal and professional goals. Welcome back to the Power Hour podcast. Today, I'm joined by Rebecca Anderson Davis. Rebecca is an investment banker, a mother, a yogi, an author and a prolific multi-hyphen in work and life. As someone who myself has built a career around doing many different things across a few different industries, I often encourage people to be creative and to be multifaceted and to explore different paths and say yes to new opportunities and essentially create their own rules when it comes to work and life. And I also recognize that that doesn't come without challenges, sacrifices, trade-offs. And I think many of us learn that lesson the hard way. Uh, when it comes to often people focusing on work that might come to the detriment of their health or they might focus a lot for a period of their life on family and they might feel as though they make trade-offs in other areas like their career. So lots and lots of things to discuss. I'm sure we're gonna have, yeah, loads of great uh, things to talk about. And of course your new book as well. Welcome to the podcast, Rebecca, how are you? I'm so thrilled to be here. Um, I'm really well, thank you for having me. Well, as I said in my kind of long introduction, I think many of us and many people probably listen to this podcast are trying to do our best to optimize our lives. They might be optimizing our health. We might be trying to build careers, raise families. We might be trying to support our friends, be the best partner that we can be. We're trying to do it all. We're trying to be the best and do the most always. I feel like not only myself, <laughs> we're all doing it, but it's difficult. And as I said, I think sometimes, you know, there's trade-offs and there's challenges and they're not always talked about and we kind of see people doing things that might seemingly look effortless. I'm sure people look at many of the things that you do and think, oh, it's effortless for her. Um, but I'm sure there are challenges. So before we dive into all of my questions, I think a good place to start might be perhaps like a short little overview, if you like, of your journey within your career and your life, which led you to doing the work that you do and to writing this book. Sure. So, um, yeah, look, I'm a full-time investment banker. Um, I've worked in the industry for 19 years um, now and in, in various different back and front office roles. And I now um, run a business at the bank I've worked at for the past 14 years, which um, I adore. And I certainly, you know, I graduated um, just before the financial crisis. And so into kind of a maelstrom and I, I wouldn't have expected to look forward and to A, be where I am and to B, be enjoying it so much. Um, but on kind of that route over the past, um, you know, 19 odd years, when I was in my late 20s, so I'm in kind of, I'm 37 now, my late 20s, I got hit by a van cycling to work. And it, you know, in the grand scheme of these things, I was very lucky. You know, I broke a collarbone. I did a bunch of soft tissue damage to my right shoulder. Um, I was back on my bike six weeks later. Um, but a few months after that, I still didn't have full use of my right arm. And I was like, Ugh, you know, I'm not even 30 yet. Probably fairly essential to sort that out. And I've been seeing a physio, but I had done what I think a lot of us do and done none of the homework <laughs> that I had been set. It's like, why am I not healed just from going to these sessions and doing nothing? Um, and my physio suggested I do something I could be more consistent at. Um, and one of her suggestions was yoga. And so I was lucky enough to have an amazing Iyengar yoga teacher at, who came to my gym um, at work. And so I started going and the first six, nine months of 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 going to yoga classes were like some of the hardest hours of my week. Like physically, I couldn't touch my toes. I couldn't do a press up. Um, I could barely do a downward dog. Like mentally, the challenge of not being good at something and really seeing no path forward to be good at it either. Like I didn't do dance. I didn't do sport as a kid. Um, and But with time and, you know, I had this really clear goal of helping to kind of fix my injury. And then I really fell in love with it. And this was very early days of Instagram. And so I'm actually sat uh, here with my two cats um, virtually on my lap. And so I started posting some of that yoga, quote unquote, it's cheesy, but it's true, journey on Instagram. And my cats like to sit on my mat with me. And so it was kind of, you know, Instagram friendly. And 
I spoke then a lot. I had a people, pseudonym. Sorry, I'm interrupting you, but people loved mm. it, right? So you weren't uh, sharing online. People loved it. You grew a big uh, following I, on Instagram yeah. because people loved what you were sharing. Look, I ended up like at some point, I think, with 150,000 followers because I was. I talked a lot about having this big career at the time. I didn't share my ne- name, and I certainly didn't share kind of what I did. But you know, I was like, "This is. I'm making this progress, but I'm also working like, really, really hard." And the big my my trick, if there ever is one, was independent yoga practice. And so I practice a lot in my kitchen at home with my cats. And so, um, long story short, is the conversation that that sparked with this community, um, this really supportive community, became my first book, which was about um, yoga, it was called The Book of Yoga Self-Practice. And that came out, I self-published it in 2019, um, That and then it got published real in 2020. Obviously, life in 2020 was very different to 2019. And independent yoga practice kind of felt much more relevant for people. But at mm. that point, I decided to publish the book in my real name. And so when that book came out, and people um, realized what I was doing. And at that point, I'd also had my first son, um, who's now nearly five. There was a real kind of like, hang on a sec moment. You're a, a senior investment banker at that point. I'd made managing director. You have a child. You have this consistent yoga practice. You have these now two Instagram communities and you're writing books. Like, how do you do that with any work-life balance? And I'm like, well, step one, I don't use work-life balance as a mental model. I find it an incredibly unhelpful um, you know, mental framework. And I talked a lot about kind of dialing things up and dialing things down in my life. And so that was the beginning of this book, Shifting the Dials. Um, and it, you know, it took me three years to write in between COVID and being pregnant again and shielding and going back to work after maternity leave and, you know, life and work and all of that stuff. Um, but even being able to write that second book was, I think, testament to how helpful, at least I find the framework, that there are kind of seasons of life and rare and special opportunities and needs in front of each of one of us. And by thinking about both work and life more expansively, work is never one thing. You know, I last year when I got back from maternity leave, I was ready for a new job. I'd been in my old role for, for nine years. And so I, you know, I had my current job I still wanted to be really good at, but I was looking for a new job. I was working on another project that like, I was like, if I can't find a new job, this project will be a success for that year. I was also writing the book. So like I had kind of four work dials in my life. And then I have, you know, I have my two sons, I have my yoga practice. I have all these other bits in my life too. And sometimes, often, I hope I get to choose when I set the levels really high on those dials and other times life chooses, you know, mm. shielding during COVID. I didn't write a single word for, of a book. I didn't read a single book. I barely fed my kid anything apart from pasta. You know, I was doing the bare minimum to keep us above water. And that's life, right? We can't choose. There's a lot of, A, balance is impossible. It's static, it's binary, it's oppositional. Work's not one thing. Life is not one thing. Um, and more than that, you know, this other phrase that I hate, you know, everyone's like, you can have it all, but not at the same time. I'm like, hey, I can't choose the timing either. <laughs> you know, right. like we can't choose when these opportunities or like frankly, catastrophes come at us either. And so the dials framework that I share in the book, Shifting the Dials, is my attempt um, to put a kind of a more constructive framework out there for people and like kill the work-life balance discussion that we can't seem to escape. <laughs> Yeah, well, we can't escape it because I think that we kind of put these two pillars, don't we, around our lives, which is, okay, working and when I'm not working. So essentially, is that where my life is happening? And yeah, I think a few of the things that you said, you know, those challenges, the situation for you at the time, as you said, having this job, uh, writing a book, you know, having this consistent yoga practice and something that you, a new passion, something you enjoy, something that's challenging you physically, mentally, emotionally, all of these things require energy and they require you to you know be there and show up but they also give you energy as well right and i think that even though people listening whoever whatever people's circumstances are you know i'll go in and speak to an organization with a, a room full of employees and i'll talk about some of these things and every single person in that room has their own unique set of circumstances. So they might not be writing a book and doing the X, Y, and Z, but they have their own challenges where they'll say, okay, these things sound great, but yeah, I've got 
two kids and actually one of them is you know a teenager who's currently going through this difficult situation and actually my mum is needs me to do these things for her now because she's getting older or actually one of my friends is going through this really difficult time because she's getting divorced and actually there's all of these things that we might think are play or you look at somebody like yourself somebody go wow how does she do it all as you said you know how does she have balance? How does she achieve so much? But I think everyone, if they were to look at their own schedule, look at their life, look at the commitments that they make, I think it's really important when I hear you speak, I feel like you give yourself permission to have these multi-hyphen things and to say, this version of myself is this, this version. And it's not about necessarily pick one, like which one yes. is most important to you? Which one are you gonna prioritize? Because they can all exist. And I think you really just sound like you give yourself permission to have all these different dimensions and not feel the need to, yeah, just pick and stick. Yeah, and I, exactly. And it's why I love, you know, obviously I've written it, so many things I care about the dials framework, but, you know, having these like multiple dials on your dashboard in these groupings, you know, whether it's work, whether it's family, whether it's relationships, whether it's self, whether it's you having a little adventure grouping and, you know, that's about your travels and your, you know, um, hiking or, or whatever it is, but like having those express things that speak to, you know, the first part of the framework is, is your dashboard, which is just, you know, can be a few short words, but like taking a moment to think about what your values, your goals, your priorities are, and then your dashboard is how you express those component parts, um, your dials rather, how you express those component parts in your life. But having, it really helps you think about like how the, the boundaries between them and the importance, the distinction of them. And I think it, I find at least that it really encourages me not to be all in on one thing. And mm. I think we've grown up in an era that's really encouraged us to be all in, um, especially on work, but often on like a primary relationship, you know, be that like a husband or a boyfriend or a girlfriend. And, and like those things are just not helpful. You can never expect one part of your life to deliver everything you need. And until you start like coming up with a way to encourage yourself to have more things and to respect the importance and the boundaries between them, it gets really, really hard, I think, to like A, create time and B, um, you know, prioritize that kind of breadth as well. Hmm. And to enjoy one thing without feeling a pull or a guilt or a shame around something else, because this is why I mentioned in the introduction a little bit about trade-offs. Now, I'm kind of interested to hear your viewpoint on this, because as you said, we hear this rhetoric, which is you can have it all, just not at the same time. Or we hear people saying, actually, you can't have it all. And I've heard quite a lot of you know, entrepreneurs saying, actually, I built this incredible thing. And people you know, ask me, how did you do it? And they'll say, I made a lot of sacrifices i traded off you know time with relationships my children you know spouse etc cetera, etc cetera. so yeah i'm interested to hear what are your thoughts when it comes to trade-offs do you think mm -hmm. that they are a necessary inevitable part of this dials and, and life or do you think that actually it is possible some way somehow for us to avoid trade-offs what, what do what do you think about it so in the first half of the book, I lay out the, the dials framework and that's four components, dashboard, dials, the levels on the dials, and then, you know, how to think about those three components being as, as resilient as they can. And in the second half of the book, I talk about the kind of the world the dials exist in. And I talk about things like quitting, like money, like why a life is a feature and not a bug um, of a successful career. And one of the chapters is, I call it trades. And I really deliberately use that, that, that word trade. A, because I've spent, you know, 15 years on a trading floor, but B, because I think a trade can be positive. You give something away that is of relative low cost or low value to you, and you get something back that's high value to you. But the truth is, when we think about our dashboards, like our goals, our values, our priorities for our lives, and maybe those things are, maybe that's family, or maybe that's financial stability, or maybe that's kindness or impact or adventure, there, there are a million ways any single person can express those values, goals, priorities in their lives, but none of us can choose all the ways. Like that, you know, the definition of life involves some choice. And I think there are trades in those choices. And I don't think we're honest enough about what those trades are. And the more honest we can be, the, the, the my hope is we get away from them being trade-offs where it's kind of a lose-lose to being a trade give away something yeah. low value to me get something high value in return um and i think you know rather than asking people like how they manage their work-life balance like let's ask them about what the trades that have been involved in their in, in creating their life have been you mentioned the entrepreneur dialogue and i think that's a really important one because like I, 
I'm biased. I, I'm a corporate girl. And I feel like the past, you know, 15 years has been like so pro entrepreneurialism in a great way for like for so many people. Um, but it's not the full story. It's not an easy path to tread. You know, there are real, for me, the trade of working in corporate life, I get amazing paid maternity leave. I get when you know, the the quote-unquote shit hits the fan in my life, there's this huge machine that keeps spinning, irrespective of whether I'm there. And I have repeatedly, for good reasons, having babies and for bad reasons, personal health issues, issues with, like, people that are close to me, I've been able literally have a, get a phone call, drop everything and walk out the door. And no, I don't have to come back until me and my, the people I care about are okay. And that is an extraordinary an extraordinary privilege for me and something that I really value. But my entrepreneur friend, you know, the, the, the flip side of that is that, hey, I'm in the office. When life is working, I'm in the office um, five days a week. And that might not be the right trade for you or for somebody else. But until we start really articulating what all of those different trades and what the different trades and different types of lives and different careers are, it's much harder for any of us to work out what the best ones or the least worst ones are for us. Well, I think it's really important to talk. You mentioned then around working in the office and entrepreneurship, which I completely agree, I think has been put on a pedestal. But I think when we think about work-life balance, we think about uh, post-pandemic, we think about uh, women in work. One of the biggest, most enduring changes is hybrid work, working from home. And now in some industries, maybe more than others, people might have completely shifted to hybrid work and they might never go into their office ever again. And there's obviously other industries where people are actually going back into the office regularly and kind of whatever. But the thing I want to talk to you about is that, I mean, I saw an article written on LinkedIn, this is a few months ago. And honestly, Rebecca, I was like wanting to pull my hair out, but then I thought maybe I should just laugh. And it basically was talking about how hybrid working is a gift women and it basically said that you know it's such a good thing that we're switching which i'm not denying there's some benefit potentially for some women but it wasn't talking about people it wasn't talking about men Mm -hmm. and there's three reasons these are the three reasons that stood out to me in my mind i was like this is absurd that said the first one was it's going to be much better for women to work from home because if they've got young children nursery school age or if they can do the school run or if they can look after their kids at the same time as doing their work then wow it's gonna be great for them and i'm like anyone who's ever looked after a two-year-old child you know will tell you you cannot look after a child and do a full-time job whether that's meetings emails writing whatever your job is and look after a child so you're asking women to do unpaid unseen work at the same time as their full-time job i'll rattle through the other two which you get i love this i couldn't agree more yet oh gosh it gets worse the second one women are going to be able to reclaim you know lost time and have more time in the weekend and the evening because during the working day if you're working from home you can put a wash on you can do some ironing so when it gets to the weekend guess what you haven't got that pile of laundry to do so now you've got free time and the third one this article was actually real this was not a joke the third one was Women can be more comfortable because they don't have to wear heels to the office. If you're working from home, you can just wear (laughs) your slippers. And I was like, okay, so we're trying to tell women that not men, as I said, men can't put a wash on during the week. Or or men don't have kids, you know, they don't. Men don't have kids, of course. So they don't have to be concerned with childcare, which is just another conversation. I'm sure we could dive into that. because yeah, my, my husband doesn't get asked about where his kids are or who's looking after them, which I frequently do when I'm working, which is quite interesting. So yes, all of these things, apparently working from home, hybrid work, it's gonna be great for women because we can put on a wash and we don't have to wear heels. So unless it's the 1950s and I didn't know, what is your viewpoint when it comes to hybrid work and when it comes to these, you know, creating a work and a life and a blend that works for us. Do you think that it is going to be beneficial for women or do you think actually there are maybe some really big potential things that are we need to discuss and look at and so we don't create another framework and another model which detri- which is detrimental to women and that we kind of just create another model with more disparity? Like if you design, I like, I couldn't, you've summed up the problem so well. <laughs> if... If I designed, if I got a chance to design a system from scratch, it wouldn't look like the system that we have now, right? You know, this, as you already said, it is a system that was designed for the 1950s when you had a, a you know, dual parent, dual, dual person house, one person going out to work, the man, one person staying at home and doing a bunch of unpaid labor. And now it's virtually impossible to run a household, especially a household with dependents on a single income. And we're still working in that, 
you know, there's still the, the, all the work of running house and looking after kids and parenting these days is also much more intense than it was. You know, parent, people having kids older, they've got intergenerational responsibilities. Like everything, everything is harder now. And we expect two people to do full-time, two full-time jobs. It's so, so impossible. And so while I think things like hybrid work are potentially helpful on an individual level, and, you know, I'm, I, I kind of I look around my friends and even, you know, to be honest, for me, I, you know, any, there was no work from home flexibility pre-pandemic in my industry. And now there is, you know, I like my son has got something, you know, a play on at school or I've got to go to the dentist. Like I'm not wasting double commute time to fit my life in on, on, you know, a one-off day. And that's really, really powerful. Um, But like the small tweaks are not going to be how we make the system really, really, really work for people. And I think until we start talking, and I, I love seeing companies talking about their new, you know, shared parental leave policy. Um, But it's not a single company decision that's going to change the system. Like these problems Mm. are systemic and systemic and systematic. And so we need to start having some really like wholesale changes to make it better for everyone, to enable more men to be more participatory in the lives of their families, which I think COVID showed a lot of them that they were missing out on, and to enable more women to be more participatory participatory in the workforce in the way that they want to while not giving up the pieces that they want to in their families um and like you know if I was queen for a day that would look like a global four-day working week that would look like state you know high quality state-funded childcare, um like wraparound flexibility like there's, there's some of these things exist in other places already we don't have to imagine an unknown universe um, and sure, like, can hybrid help an individual on a day-to-day basis? Absolutely. Do I think it's like the panacea that m- many of us are looking for? No way. And it's one of the reasons that the last chapter in the book is about impact. And I really encourage people to have specific impact dials on their dashboards. Because I haven't spoken to a woman. Um, I was about to say when talking about careers, but I think I think it's really relevant. I, I think women talk about this all the time of how difficult these systems are and how much they want them to change. And so many women interpret that um, like directly through their careers, right? They go into caring professions, they're teachers, they're, um, you know, they're healthcare workers, um, they, they're childcare. Um, and I think there's more, there is, there are additional ways that some of us that aren't expressing that impact in our day-to-day jobs can have impact too. And it matters mm. what's going through parliament. It matters what corporate policies are being implemented. It matters like every single one of us that can change something bottom up and can change it top down. Like that's how we start changing the system in a way that works for all of us. Mm. No, I couldn't agree more. As you said, the different kind of what you, well, I suppose what you focus on. So your dial of impact might be very different to somebody else's, but knowing that what you do matters, you know, it all feeds back into purposefulness, right? And understanding you know, what I'm getting out of bed to do. Why am I doing the work that I'm doing? Why am I showing up? What, what's what's it all for? And I think having something which is really crystal clear, like you said, you know what it is for you. It doesn't have to be virtuous. It doesn't have to be someone else is gonna look at it and go, wow, you just have to, you know, it has to be real. It has to be something that you care about. And I think, you know, looping back to what you said around the, the system and how systematic, you know, there's so much downside, I think, to, for example, going back to women who might be working remotely and not going into a space where they are, there's proximity bias, you know, there's all these things around upward mobility, around mentorship, around meeting potential partners, friends, there's all of these things. And obviously it's very complex, but I really like that idea of thinking, okay, what is your impact? And how can it help? And again, the unseen stuff, maybe it's maybe the people you're gonna help and impact, you'll never see them and they'll never see you, but it doesn't mean it doesn't matter. And it's one of the reasons why, you know, I'm, I'm continue to be very public about, you know, about, about my non-work life. And, you know, the world is like caught up when I first started doing Instagram and things, you know, that corporates, corporates weren't on Instagram, forget about corporate people. And it, you know, it made some people in my life, both professionally and personally, like deeply uncomfortable because they were worried that it was threatening my career or, or you know, like would be looked upon poorly in the industry. Um, but the number of conversations that I've had since, you know, I looked up and didn't see many people living careers and lives that I wanted to emulate. And like, I'm, you know, kind of embarrassingly happy in life 
because I enjoy my career and because I get to spend an amazing amount of time with my children and because I have financial security that was really, really important to me and because I get to do all these other things as well and being able to show people that that is possible in like my line of work um, is like, I feel like a responsibility to do that. Now, the answer isn't that everybody goes out and becomes an investment banker and and a yogi and an Instagram and a writer, but if this path is viable for some people and there are more, you know, my general philosophy is the more women can live like happy, fulfilled lives, the more likely we are to get these systemic changes that we need to happen. Because the irony is like, if we all get stuck in places where we're unhappy, then the system's never going to change because the power sits with the people that have kept it like this in the first place. Mm-hmm. And as I said before, giving yourself permission. There's nothing in what you said then, which is apologetic. There's no, oh, you know, I'm sorry that I've done these things to pursue things that I enjoy or to have financial security. or And I think as women as well, we maybe need to take responsibility for that and say, actually, I'm going to give myself permission. I'm going to own these things. I'm not going to dilute myself, turn that dial down, you know, dim that light, dim that part of myself because I'm not allowed to, you know, say that I love my life. You know, isn't it so much more, I I think, socially acceptable to be like, oh my gosh, you know, I'm so stressed out. And oh my gosh, you know, my husband is doing this or, you know, this person's this. And we kind of want to complain and we want people to listen to our complaints. And then we can kind of say, yes, me too. And it's this misery thing. And we're all being a martyr because life's so hard. But actually, you know, I recently did an interview for this podcast with a lady who is 102 years old. Wonderful, wonderful woman. She's a beautiful woman. And she said that, life is awesome. She just said it, she was like, life is awesome. And whether that's her life, you know, getting up and going for a walk, whether that's being able to record a podcast online when we're different countries, but she was like, life's awesome. And I think how often are we as young women, how often if someone asks you, oh, hey, how's it going? Let's catch up, what's good? What's new with you? What's going on with you? What's, you know, how's everything? How often do you give yourself permission to say, you know what, everything's great, life's awesome. You know, I love my husband, I love my work, I love my kids, I love my life. It's almost like you're not allowed to say it because people are going to go, oh, like, (laughs) why can't we be honest and say we're enjoying ourselves? And it feels like you're kind of, you know, implicitly, if if some the person you're speaking to doesn't feel like that, that you're like implicitly saying they're doing something wrong or that you you are this way because you've done something right. And I think there's so much Mm. like luck and chance and frankly, injustice in the world as well. And, you know, some of the comments maybe it was inevitable maybe I was naive but some of the comments I've got back since you know the book's launched like you know it's easy for you because you know you you all earn all this money and you know I have a full-time nanny um you know that helps like me and my husband with our kids so I like I have a lot of support to do what I do and you know one of I mentioned earlier that you know I didn't do any writing at all during COVID you know when we were shielding both working full-time with a two and a half year old and, and no childcare. like there was no anything apart from, you know, sleeping, eating, working and feeding him pasta. Um, So I'm not naive about, you know, how much, A, how grateful I am for the luck that I've had and the privilege that that it's brought me. Um, But how even, how more offense, much more offensive would it be if I wasn't enjoying the situation that I'm in? And then the follow on from that, and back to that last chapter of the book being about impact, I didn't feel like I had a responsibility to make it easier for more people to be where I am and feel the fulfillment that I feel with their lives. Because it shouldn't be this mm. hard. You shouldn't have to be an investment bank, an investment banker to be able to afford the childcare that you need. Um, mm. Now, there's two truths in there. If the system is gonna be today that messed up, like let's talk about like what you need to be able to create the life in this current bad system, because that might affect your choices. And then let's talk about how we change the system so it's not like this for the next person. Because it really, it, you know, Finland, it costs 450 euros a month for like the best childcare in the world. Like it doesn't have to look how it looks here. Um, yeah. And there's more than, you know, there's so much more than just childcare, but it's a pertinent example, I think. Mm. And it's also another pertinent example of how women, typically, I want to say women, maybe it wasn't, maybe it was a, a male that challenged you, but typically women as well, we're, we're quick to criticize other women's choices, even though we talk about, you know, sisterhood this and motherhood that and womanhood this, we are often quick to criticize other women's choices if they're different to our own. And it's interesting, you know, you mentioned the word privilege and it's incredibly important to have that conversation. People don't like that word. They don't like to say, 
uh, you know, privilege exists. And as you said, there's lots of things that, that impact us all in different ways. It's a sliding scale. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that you didn't work hard. It doesn't mean that it's diminished your ability or your achievement or your success because you have benefit from some privilege that others don't. You know, if you're a man, if you're a white woman, if you're, you know, if you if you have access to education, if you're wealthy, we all exist with some level of privilege. And yes, we know it is far greater for some people than others, but even the word for you to say, yeah, I have these privileges and I'm grateful that I have them. I'm not denying them, I think is very, very important. And if I could, whilst I'm on mm. this run, I wanna talk, you mentioned, you know, you said about about financial security, you said that, and I already wanted to talk to you about breaking taboos around money. So firstly, the fact that we still say there's taboos around money, which we know there are, and kind of getting into that. And you know, you brought it up, people's response. So you saw, right, it's easy for you. Come on, Rebecca, you've got money. So therefore you must have no problems. And I'm sure you face challenges, but yeah, what is it then about, I guess, why do you think it's important for us to open this conversation about the taboos around money and the assumptions that if you have it, then your life is going to be fine. Yeah. And look, in many, you know, my, my father was in the military. My mother was a teacher, you know, so I grew up in, in like a very, you know, kind of middle, middle England, you know, traditional family. I didn't know that this industry existed. And I certainly didn't, you know, as I said at the start, I didn't expect that I'd be where I am in it. And it, you know, really has put my life on a different track to one that I grew up grew up in that was still you know I lived I had a lovely childhood um and the penultimate chapter of the book the one before impact is about money and you know financial security absolutely one of my dashboard values you know I watched again was still a very lovely childhood but like my parents and I tell some of these stories in the book you know, my parents' decision-making was very centered around money. You know, they bought their first house in their late 30s when interest rates went from, you know, 4% to 12% in in six months. And my mum went back to work earlier than she wanted to after she had me and my brother. Um, and, like, that was one of the stories that they told. Like, the, And we were very involved in their finances. They were very open about that. And I just watched, I just, we, you know, it was a beat of the drum that we marched to as a family. Um, and... And I wanted more security faster. And that was a big part of why I made the decisions that I have made. I think especially as a woman, and I knew that I would be the one that was physically bearing the children. And I knew, well, I thought I knew what impact that would have on my career. And I felt a lot of pressure to get as quick, as far through my career and my earning capacity as I could before I had kids. And I think, I still think that was a really smart decision. It's a sad one that like a sad calculation. I think that's a reflection again of those systematic problems. Um, but in the money chapter, not everyone's going to want to do things how I've done them. Step one, mm-hmm. because, you know, like it's there is no easy version of earning a lot of money. I, I don't care what anybody says. There's no shortcut here. There's just different versions of, of hard and that's if you can have access to the hard version in the first place, right? And that mm. is often like education dependent or access dependent and all those kind of things luck as well. Um, but I do encourage people to have separate money dials on their dashboard because money is not the same thing as your job. You know, a lot of us will have choices that are available to us about where we do the kind of work that we want to do and whether we're optimizing for you know, doing in a more creative place or a high reward place or, you know, moving countries or whether we need to like retrain to uh, like to earn more money from the skill set that we already have. Like money, whether that's income, whether it's saving, whether it's investment, whether it's a pension, whether it's donating, these are all different aspects of a financial life that are very different Mm -hmm. to our jobs. And I think like, especially women have been encouraged not to think about those financial implications for a long time um and and I just you know again I'm not saying everyone should do things how I have or can do things out how I have but I do think thinking about money separately is like a really powerful important message not least of all and I there's two points I make really in that chapter number one that you know a pound earn when you're younger is worth more than a pounder when you're older like the compound interest of money the compound like investment potential of that pound or dollar or yen or whatever it is is much more powerful than when you're 21 um versus 41 or 61 and we're not honest enough about that's just raw maths and i run a whole bunch Mm. of examples in the book and then secondly when there are these systematic challenges for women the gender pay gap is real the motherhood penalty is real for people of color 
the racial discrimination gap is real, the funding gap um, for non-white business owners is real. When those things are just facts, like verifiable facts, you should be aware of them in your decision-making process. I wish I could, I wish it was different and I feel deep responsibility to do everything I can. It's a piece of why I wrote the book and it's a piece of why I'm like continuing to put myself out there um, and why I hire how I do and why I mental how I do and why I donate how I do. Um, but I, I, you know, I want, I think, I think we, especially women should be having that conversation more. Mm, no, I agree with you. I, I, I do. And anyone who's listened to the podcast for a long time, especially if they've listened to episodes where I've spoken to finance experts or spoken to women specifically about this topic, I just still don't think there's enough honest conversation, enough financial literacy, enough focus, enough education for women, specifically for women to be empowered to make decisions about money, to be empowered to talk about earning, saving, pensions, investments. Some people like, oh, boring, don't wanna know. Well, you will wanna know when you know you can't make decisions in your life because you're limited, because you have limited funds. It's just the truth, as you said. Um, and so also I wanted to ask you, if someone's listening to this, because I know certain friends personally in my life right now, who for whatever reason, they might've had some you know difficult challenges after difficult challenges, you know, you, like you said before, you can't time when things happen in your life. So they might hear a conversation between us and go, okay, great. You're both, you know, mid thirties, you're both enjoying your career. You might, you know, financially be where you want to be or at least close to it. But for someone who isn't and someone who goes, you know what, I've tried hard, I've worked hard, I've done these things and maybe this relationship went south and then maybe I had to move and then maybe I've not got any savings and they feel like sometimes they're like, shit, I never swear on this podcast, but- <laughs> So I already like, did, so. <laughs> yeah, it's fine, but you know, sometimes people go, but hold on a minute, this is so overwhelming because I'm not 21, so I can't start a pension today or I'm not, you know, I'm not where I want to be, but time is ticking. And as we know, as women, there's so many complications within that. So yeah, if someone is listening to this conversation and they are mid thirties and they're thinking, I am not where I want to be right now and happy for you too, but you, you know, you seem like you're on that track. Yeah. What would you say to them? Look, there's a Chinese proverb, you know, like the, the, the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. And the second best time is today. And, you know, I've run a lot of these like math simulations in the book and you know some of them are awful but kind of like even for it's me depressing. it is depressing because you know you can you can save what you know are seem like quite manageable you know thousand pound numbers that accumulate over you know 30 or 40 years investments to a million pound pension you know which most of us will never be able to dream of um but you try and do that when you're in your 40s or your 50s and you need you know 10 20 times as much um, and so it's really, it's really hard, especially if the time has passed, but it's A, it's never too late. And B, you know, back to like the first part of the dance framework, you know, that dashboard, it, I think it's often we get caught up in, in conversations about career, about life, about comparing choices. Do I take this job that pays me, pays me more, but is less of what I want to do versus this job that makes an organization that pays me less or that's a longer commute or whatever it is. But, and it, the truth is there's no better or worse or right or wrong answer. There's only like what is right for you and the values, goals and priorities. Again, that's your dashboard that's on there. And maybe financial stability wasn't a goal for you, you know, 10 years ago. And it is now because something's changed. You've changed. That's okay. And now you get to like make some think or think hopefully make some different choices, but at least start like thinking about, right, you know what, money wasn't a factor for me now. Now I'm gonna have that money dial on my dashboard. And maybe is I need to earn more money, it's an income dial. So like, how can I put that dial on my dashboard? Is it, you know, do I pick up some extra shifts? Do I, I have this skill, you know, I'm really good at makeup or um, I'm really good at social media. Like how can I like take that skill to the world in a different way? How I'm an HR professional and I work for a charity. You, those same HR skills are gonna get you paid a lot more at a tech company or an investment bank than they will at charity. Look, they're not, I am not naive about whether these choices are available to everybody. Um, but my my hope is that once people start being a little bit more conscious about what their priority is and having that dial on their dashboard, when there are choices available to them, they are more likely to be able to make ones that represent the things that are important to them. Mm, yeah. 
I agree. I agree. Very well said. I appreciate the, the candid and honest conversation because these things, of course, are complex and nuanced. It is not, as you said, the same opportunities are not afforded to everybody. But I think being yeah in an empowered position to say, okay, what can I do with what I have today is really, really powerful and really important. So thank you for that. Uh, we, I think we agree on so much. I, as I said, I've, I'm, a, I'm a long-term, uh, long-term fan. Um, and I think we're on the same page with lots of this apart from early mornings, which I'm not, I'm not, I'm not your girl. <laughs> Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Well, it's a perfect segue. So, yes, you said you don't like early mornings and we agree about a lot of things. So talk to me about, firstly, I guess, why is, yeah, what is it specifically? Is it, you know, do you think it's just genetic? You're an eye owl at the end or is there something about the morning? And maybe you're a bit of a, some people I think they're a bit rebels and they don't like the fact you've been told your whole life to get up. They're like, no, I'm not going to get up. So what is it about mornings? Let's get into it. I'm definitely a night owl. I think there's a real genetic component to that. And like most of what I do, you know, like writing Instagram um, is in the evenings. I like, you know, I work, I, I try and get out of work at a reasonable time so I can, you know, do like playtime, dinner time, bedtime, bath time with my kids. And so I'll, you know, pick up bits and pieces in the evening. And I find that like really, really easy to do. I find it virtually impossible to get up earlier than I have to. And it was one of the hardest things about having children that I have to like, not only do I have to get up early, but I have to get out of bed quickly. <laughs> like my ideal world is, you know, I wake up without an alarm and I get to like stay in bed for an hour and just like consume the internet. Um, before I move out of bed and I tried last summer um, I tried like getting up and exercising in the mornings and I totally burnt myself out um, because I was on like a you know I'd set my alarm for 6am I'd get up and do something and so it was like default instead of like listening to what I needed I was doing it because that you know and it was just like blind like next steps the way I, I think you know mornings often work but even now I'm like right get up you know shower teeth like you just do the routine without thinking about it um yeah and I had stopped because I'd like I got I made myself ill from doing it I was like this is not and did you change well quick question did you change anything else I suppose in your life and routine because if you change your lifestyle to say okay I'm getting up at six I don't know what time you were getting up before but if you were still saying well I do my best work in the evening and I'm on social late and I'm going to bed late then I think that's that's the obviously the key thing I would say to people is it's not about you know burning at both ends doing more 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 just get up early because I'm boring I'm a granny I go to bed early it's I mean, honestly, tonight I'm gonna go. <laughs> I'm going to bed at half past nine. Like the sun is still <laughs> shining, and I close the blinds. I make my room really, really dark. I have to. Um, I close the blinds. Me and my husband will be literally going to bed at half past nine, which is so boring. My I have friends that eat dinner at half past nine, but it's because I know tomorrow I've got a busy day, and I know that tomorrow I'm running. I'm running at five thirty, so I can't wow, do both. I can't stay up late. But you say, wow, but like if I'm in bed from 9.30, then at 5.30, I actually feel fine. You know, this is the difference. I think people, they think if I get up at 5.30, then, oh, wow, I'm this superhuman. I'm not not superhuman. I've been asleep for eight hours. It's sufficient, you know? (laughs) (laughs) I... I'm sure you're right. I think that's probably true. I still wasn't going to bed early enough. Like I'm at 10.30, 10, 10.30 bed. My alarm goes off at 6.30 a.m. on weekdays. Um... But just, yeah, so like, it's probably true. I wasn't going the to 6.30 isn't late, but also it's, 6.30 isn't late. Some people wake up at eight. So 6.30 isn't oh late. You're, God, still, that would you're be still getting my, up. That would be my dream. But you've got like the kids and work. Like it's not, I'm, you know, I'm on, most mornings I'm on the 7.15 a.m. train. Um, so, you know, I wake up at 6.30, quick scan of like personal phone, work phone, just to check what I've missed overnight. Then I'm like shower, makeup, hair, dressed, you know, 
Um, if the boys are awake, I'll see them before I go. If not, I'm on the train. Um, and then like, you know, the first bit of the train, again, catching up on responding to anything urgent. And then maybe I'll read a book or do some life admin or uh, when I was mm. writing, I'd write. Um, but yeah, I found I just, I've never got up early to do anything constructive apart. I, I went, I had a five year period at work where I got into the office at quarter to six in the morning. And so, and that was brutal. Um, Why did you do that? I was, it was I was working a very specific job. Um, it, I was a currency sales trader. And so, you know, currency markets are open 24 hours a day, five and a half days a week. And so I needed to get in early to catch the end of the Asia, Asia session. And I wrote a big, this was kind of pre, shows how old I am, pre-smartphones. I wrote a big morning email that went out um, before everyone had smartphones. And so I needed to get in to kind of read what had happened overnight and write this email to get the email out at 6.45. And I think maybe I'm just so traumatized from waking up at 5 a.m. Um, for five years that I never want to ever do it again. <laughs> Well, there you go. You said it yourself. Life has seasons and you did your power hour. You did your power <laughs> hour. I'm so done before. with it. Yeah. <laughs> but, it's, it's, but again, you do, it doesn't strike me that you're not apologetic in this, which is really important because I think it's brilliant. You know, it's wonderful to hear a woman speak so confidently about her own life choices because it is your life without making, you know, feeling the need to apologize because I think ultimately if we could all I think that's what we all want you know I started off by saying we all want to optimize our health be the best uh, at work that we can be the best mum we can the best partner we can you know show up and I think we're all trying to do that but I feel like so much of us don't feel that we don't give ourselves permission we don't have the confidence to to say these are my values this is what I choose I'm not getting up at that time or I am getting up at that time and I'm not gonna justify it or you know I don't have to want to justify to people as you said before me saying to you I'm going for a run tomorrow half past five isn't this virtuous like oh well I think you should be doing that because look at me aren't I great it's just that my lifestyle tomorrow is a day when I can do that I know the rest of the day I've got things that I'm not going to get a chance to move my body. I'm going to be sitting and writing and glued to a screen. And I enjoy it because it's really sunny at the moment. And I know that in a few months, winter soon come, it will be dark again. I am making the most of my beautiful, quiet roads around here. The roads are quiet at that time. I don't even see dog walkers. I don't see cars. I just have solitude. And for me, that's what I want. And that's it. But other people, they would hate it. They'd think it was torture to go and do that at half past five. I mean, I would think it was torture. Um, though I did go on my very first run ever um, on holiday and liked it a lot more than I thought I, I would. But it's one of, you know, when I was writing the book, I had real, I've never really suffered from imposter syndrome in my career just because I'm kind of a bit of a, like a why not person. Like, like why not me? Why? <laughs> I don't think anyone else has got this worked out either. Like, I think I can until I started writing, um, especially this book, because I just, I was like, why would anyone care what I have to say? Um, And I felt like, uh, yeah, I just really, really struggled with the imposter syndrome of it. And especially A, once it was done and B, once I started like being lucky enough to do conversations with this, like speaking to amazing people that have kind of trodden that path already. And you know, your book was such a huge success. Like getting, you realize that there's so much space for all of these conversations. And it's not that my framework is better than um, like Deborah Jones, who um, is editor at Glamour, has her like 70% idea. Or, you know, there's the other concept where people talk about, you know, you've got you've got glass balls and you've got plastic balls. And if you, you know, you can drop the plastic ones, but not the glass ones. I don't like that because I'm like, oh, I'm going to drop something, it's going to smash. That's like, well, now then what do I do? But it doesn't, like these are all versions of a very similar conversation. And what, what like I think all of us that put this stuff out into the world is not to say that your version is wrong, but it's to help the people who our version will speak to find it. And then hopefully actually be able to be a conduit to be like, hey, mine might not be the best one for you. Like you might not be a yoga person, but I think you might love Pilates. Um, like you might not be a running person, but like might be swimming. It might be my framework or you know it might be it might be power hour and like those like there's so much space for all of us but but I think we all agree that the way we've been doing it is not helpful for most people 
Yeah, absolutely. I agree. And I'm sure people are going to really enjoy your framework and, and applying some of those things and maybe not all of it, maybe not every single word, every single chapter. You know, my my father-in-law, wonderful um, man who's in his 80s, he read Power, Power Hour, he read the book and I was like, oh gosh, what's he going to think? Because, you know, you think you're so, you know, old and wise. And he said, it's like a fruit bowl. He said, there's something in there for everyone will like, but it doesn't mean they're going to like all of it. They're just yeah. going to take the piece of fruit that they want. So I always think about that. If I, I, I that. when you said a when you said about imposter syndrome, I think as an author, I don't think I know anyone who's ever written a book who hasn't felt like this moment of, oh my gosh, how, and myself included, how arrogant do you think you are to just share these ideas and everybody's gonna wanna know, Adrian, what you have to say, and they're gonna spend money and sit down and read this book. And I'm thinking, I have I have it around youth as well. Often a lot of the work that I do, I'm in a room, where I'm the youngest, you know, I'm 35, mm. but I'm the youngest person in the room. And that feeds my imposter syndrome, which says, well, what do you know? How can you tell us? So I think from one author to another, we all have that moment. I think it makes you uh, not only human, but sane, you know? <laughs> you're, not, <laughs> you're not like that kind of self, you know, our ego's not that big that we kind of, I think it's a normal feeling to go, yeah. actually, who's gonna wanna hear from me? But you know what? A lot of people will, and a lot of people will tell you when they read your work, they'll say, oh yes, I hadn't thought of it like this, or it's given me permission to maybe have the confidence in my work and life that, that you have. I hope so. Um, though I am going to take a break. There's no, I keep telling my editor this, I was like, there's no third book waiting in the wings. Like, I, lo I love having all these different parts of my life. And then it also, the best thing you kind of get to a point, I'm like, you know what, that dial's going to be down for the foreseeable. Like, I'm, life is full of other things and I want to spend time on other things now for a while. Great. Well, you deserve it. Turn the dial down and exactly. um, yeah, everyone else can enjoy reading the fruits of your labor. So tell us, please, when is the book available? The book's out. It came out in April. Um, so it is, you know, if Amazon, Waterstones, um, in lots of Waterstone stores as well. Um, all good bookshops, yada, yada. Brilliant. Great. Well, thank you so much for joining us. No, thank you for having me. Um, it's been a real pleasure. And yeah, the people, the book Shifting the Dials, people can find me on Instagram, um, Rebecca Anderton Davies. Um, and yeah, get in touch. Love chatting about it. Great. Well, we will leave all that information in the show notes as well. And as always, thank you for tuning in, for listening. And I will be back next week with another episode. See you. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 